rolling. Welcome to the Pastor's Cut Podcast for the week of June 19th, 2022, and I want to welcome my friends Dave and Marissa back. Y'all were on vacation last week, and I was here with the interns, and we took a vote. We actually like the interns better than you. Fair. Okay. Yeah. I like them better than us, too. I do, too. Bring them back. Let's just have the interns do, like, like get me out of this and just have the interns do the podcast from now on. (laughs) So, so the reason y'all weren't here is because you were on a vacation. So uh, let's just do a little little round the table. So Marissa, where did you go on vacation? Yeah, we went to um, the Sonoran Desert. So we started in Tucson, in Dave's homeland. My in, uh, homeland, in I love Phoenix, it. the Tucson area. And then we drove through New Mexico. We ended up in El Paso. So um, Tulsa has never looked greener. Mm. We flew into Tulsa, and it was just like, look out, look at the trees. Did you see some, <laughs> sing lush. some old Marty Robbins songs as you went through El Paso? <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. So, so tell us about the cactuses or yeah, cacti. Yeah, so we saw so many cactus, so many saguaro, and um, my youngest daughter, Elsa, um, loves hiking, loved the desert. She wanted to touch a cactus so badly every time. I mean, every plant in that area wants to kill you. Dave, I don't know how you existed in a place where the, the environment – wanted to kill you every so single much. plant yes absolutely. <laughs> or they just wanted to be alive so much that they didn't care about and your every well-being. animal as well yeah so elsa's like walking down a path with her arms outstretched trying to touch things we're like elsa stop oh my goodness so, mm. but oh. we came through unscathed no one got in no, no no one, jumping no needles <laughs> no jumping teddy bear choice no but we did uh enjoy doing um scorpion hunts yes uh saw some rattlesnakes so it was it was mm. fun so I have to tell you some time. We about, survived. About Any Gila monsters? <laughs> no, lots of other lizards, but no Gila monsters. Yeah, those are hard to find. <laughs> when y'all are done, just let me yeah, know. Yeah, go ahead, yeah, go ahead. No. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll tell you some time on a date. I once pushed a girl into a cactus. That's a bad story. Not did, Paula, I did, imagine. No, not Paula. <laughs> so Dave, while she was in the Sonoran Desert, where where were you? I was deep in the heart of Texas. <sighs> I was in God's country. The in mission field. The mission field. <laughs> the mission field. In Surfside Beach. It was wonderful. Watching right. some sand wash off my feet. Letting the kids build sandcastles actually shocked me. My youngest daughter, Jamie, wanted nothing more than just to build sandcastles. She spent from the moment we got to the beach until just as the sun was setting and we, we had to pry her away from the tools so we could bathe her and then put her to bed way to go jamie so so did you go to on the river which was the restaurant i we didn't know okay you, well, you, back. you met you missed out so not not too far from uh surfside beach is a little little restaurant called on the river our, our favorite seafood place in so Galveston. there is actually a tulsa surfside connection yeah there is the you know the restaurant Sege's. uh ziggy's Z- not Ziggy's, the or maybe it is Ziggy's. I don't know the, the sausage, the yeah. sausage Ziggy's. place. Yeah, Ziggy's. yeah, or or Sege's is the uh, okay. Is the, uh, I have no idea how to pronounce it. I'm <laughs> not from here. So 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 Ziggy's. Um, the children. <laughs> all native Tulsans are laughing at you right now, Dave. That's okay. That's all right. I'll take it. I'm big enough. Um, after our donut episode on Sunday, I think I can handle yeah, it. Yeah, which is another insider <laughs> joke. Story for another time. About. Yes, has come on Sundays. So Ziggy's children 
live in Surfside, Texas. They went to a wedding with some friends of mine that did live in Houston several years ago that now live in Surfside. And um, so they met Mr. Ziggy and um, they said, you should go, you should go meet him and tell him that you know us. I haven't gone yet, but I plan okay. on going sometime mm-hmm. soon. You might get some good sausage out of that deal too. So, and uh, you know, I was here and uh, Brad was here last week. So we, devoted. We were very devoted. Um, I instead of vacation, I just went to go see the new Top Gun movie. So, I have to say, of all the movies I've ever seen, it's probably one of the best. There was just a great combination of nostalgia and new, perfectly balanced, and uh, you know, Tom Cruise has just never looked better, in my opinion. <laughs> All right, that's it. Awesome. So let's so let's jump into Job. This is uh, uh, for this particular Sunday, June nineteenth, which is also Father's Day. We're continuing to work through the seven people in the Scripture who um, who had had enough, and they asked God to take their lives. And this, um, I've, I just finished writing this message this morning. This is a tough one. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is just this is dark, and it doesn't get any better if you read through the Book of Job. It really doesn't start getting any better until about the last quarter of the book, but. Just to give some context here, Job is a contemporary of Abraham. So we're looking at about 2,000 years before Jesus. Uh, Job is probably not an Israelite, probably not a Jew, although that's been speculated back and forth. So while God is working with Abraham to start the Jewish nation, um, you know, here's a person of another race, of another lineage, but God is working in that area as well. In fact, probably... We would classify Job as a Gentile in the larger biblical scope of things. Um, And all of his life was going great. Uh, Job chapter 1, what I would point out if I'm teaching this is his his life was a perfect 10. 10 is a good Hebrew number that represents perfection and completeness. So it said he had seven sons and three daughters. There's the factor of 10. Uh, All of his oxen and camels, and if you add these things up, they all come to a factor of 10. So these may not be literal numbers, but they're representative of life was perfect for Job, or so it seemed. Mm-hmm. So for you guys, you know, when you think of Job, if you were teaching this, um, what's, what's just one general something you would give our teachers as they instruct on Job? Or are y'all still on vacation? No, I'm, I'm here, and I, I was waiting to see if Marissa wanted to go first. Uh, I know, I, we're, if, we're just too polite. We are. So Dave, if please, I, go right ahead. So if I were to, if I were to teach this, I, I think one thing that I would encourage teachers to look at specifically would be to look at this, this, look at the health wealth gospel or look at even the Deuteronomic gospel versus what is presented in Job, because they're pretty stark contrast. And by Deuteronomic gospel or Deuteronomic theology, I mean this idea that if you serve God, if you do if you do all the right things in all the right ways, everything is going to be up and to the right. Job stands in stark contrast to that, and Job has the entire book as a whole paints this picture Sometimes bad stuff happens, and maybe sometimes it's Satan, maybe sometimes it's sin, maybe sometimes it's not any of those things, and we can't attribute what it is, but God is still there. Yeah, we want life to be neatly packaged. Those who do good have good happen to them. Those who do bad have bad happen to them. And you know what? There is a little bit of truth to that, because if you do good, good will tend to find you. If you do bad, there'll be consequences, but it's not that simple or simplistic. The world's much more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. So, Marissa, what stands out to you? I think um, just reminding people who have experienced a lot of grief, a lot of mourning, um, maybe they're experiencing chronic pain and disability, as Job was in this chapter, that emotion and expressing yourself to God is not a sin. 
Um, I will never forget uh, being in a, a Stephen ministry training where one of the trainers who maybe should not have been leading the training mm-hmm. at a different church was talking about how being angry with God is impossible for a Christian. Oh. And just the looks of shock on the faces of the people that were in that training, it's so untrue. That emotion is, is something that, uh, that um, shouldn't be avoided. That if we numb our feelings of anger, if we numb our feelings of grief and mourning, we're also numbing our feelings and our capacity for joy and to experience God's healing. Um, I think of Job saying, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? You know, when her, his wife was like, curse God. And, and you know, uh, uh, why, aren't you, why aren't you cursing God? And he says that, you know, if, we, if we're going to accept good things from God, we have to accept the trouble also. And in this very next chapter, uh, you know, he's cursing the day he was born. And both of those things can be in tension with each other. Both of those things can exist. He still believed that God was present. He still believed that, that God was, was good and sovereign, but, uh, but he still felt this very, very deep emotion. And being a Christian is not existing with a stiff upper lip. It's not existing um, without emotion. It's, it's, it's vibrant, and, and sometimes there's agony there. That's a terrible thing to teach, that a Christian can't be angry at God, uh, personally, because I, you know, it, reality is what it is. And if you're angry with God, you're angry with God. And I think the worst thing you can do is try to deny that or over-spiritualize it. You have to deal with it mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in order for it to be resolved. Not only that, that, that ignores a large portion of Scripture. Like right. this passage <laughs> where people are very angry with God. How about that? But the beauty is that they take it to God. Right. Right. Yeah. Is, is he big enough to handle anything we would bring to him? Mm-hmm. And, and so we are going to zoom in on chapter 3 a bit. And what I, what I want to do is now change the question for the two of you. Uh, as you read through chapter 3, and by the way, I, I'm not trying to be cute with the the message outline, uh, several commentaries picked up on you know three movements in this psalm. Um, in his prayer, excuse me, I, I guess I can call it a psalm. It's a it's a poetry prayer. You know, it's uh, very dark and difficult. But verse three through verse ten is Job cursing. Now he's not cursing God. He's cursing his life. He's cursing the situation. He's at basically I don't like where I am. Verses eleven through nineteen. He questions, uh, why, 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 over and over and over again. And then in the last section, uh, verse, verses 20 through 26, he, he cries out. And I think if you've ever felt um, so desperate in your circumstances that you've cried out to God. Now, what's interesting here from the text, as, as the Hebrew continues here, when you get down to verse 25 and 26, the, uh, the Hebrew is almost untranslatable. And it almost gives this sense of if you've ever heard somebody sobbing so hard and trying to speak and you couldn't make sense of their words, mm. that's almost the sense that you're left with at the end of this chapter that, that Job just kind of degenerates into uh, sobs. Um, but if you were to choose one or two verses here that really resonate with you, um, that as you read it, it sticks, it lands with you, it says something profound— uh, what what one verse would you focus on if you were teaching this in front of another group? And don't be polite to one another. Just, <laughs> just step on each other and go. And I've got my verse, and if y'all need time to think, I'll, I'll give you mine. I think, um, oh, man, I don't know about specific verse. It's also beautiful. Um, I think that, uh, you know, in, in grief ministry, we, we teach to um, that even if you're not a person who journals, that journaling is very important in order to process your emotions, especially if you're having trouble 
expressing your emotions and that it is a really, really important part of healing. So every one of these verses is just so poignant and and emotional and works towards his healing. Um, just the very first verses, three through um, three through nine, where he's talking about the joy of his birth being a misguided thing. Um, that, uh, you know, we think about how joyful we feel when a baby is born today. But in his time, when infant and maternal uh, mortality was so high, um, just for the baby and the child both to survive that day was such, you know, such a momentous event. Um, you know, you wake up and your wife's in labor and you don't know if it's going to be the saddest day of your life or a moment of great joy. Um, and then to, to compound that with the, having a son, a, this child of blessing and promise and enduring legacy, you know, that joy was just compounded. And to say that that is misguided, that uh, the, the day of my birth, you thought it was joyful. Jeremiah did the same thing. Yep. Um, In fact, there's a lot of similarity between the words. A lot, words. yes, yeah. So you thought this was a, a time of great joy, but you didn't know it was all misguided. And this this anti-creation story in those first few verses, this, where God had spoken light, he should have spoken darkness, where right. I wish this day was just removed from the historical record, that if I don't feel the presence of God in my life right now, and we know that life is impossible apart from God's presence, then his presence wasn't there at that day either. So, so it's interesting, even though this is an ancient document. I mean, we're, we're talking about 4,000 years ago. Things really haven't changed all that much. Uh, still today, and Marissa, I know you deal with this when, when people are dealing with grief. There are certain days on the calendar that used to be joyful hmm. that are now mourning. Right. Uh, for instance, you know, family member dies, say a, a spouse dies, and that anniversary date, especially the first anniversary of death, uh, is just a dark day. Yes. Yeah. Uh, birthdays you know, wedding anniversaries, but they say, they'll say something like, I need to be busy on this day or I need to go somewhere right. because that's going to be a tough day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for Jeremiah, uh, excuse me, for Job, that was day one. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> that first day, it's a dark day. Yeah. Uh, Dave, if you were to teach this, what would, would be a verse or two that you would point out? So I would chew on, I think, 23, 24, maybe even 25 and 26 going going there looking at this why question, you know, trying to chew on that a little bit more. So many times when we encounter suffering, that why question is the first thing that we hit. And we try to wrestle with that. Why, why did this happen? Why is this going on? Why am I in such pain and turmoil that nothing makes sense in life right now? And that's basically what Job is saying throughout the whole thing. Nothing makes sense anymore to me. I don't understand anything. That, that why question that we experience when we go through that, I, I think, we may not ever find the answer to that when we're in the middle of suffering, but that why question invites us to intimacy with God. And ultimately, God wants us to press into him more in that place. We might have to settle with the fact that we won't find peace, we won't find an answer to that why question, but we can find peace and intimacy with God in place of the answer to that why question if we press into him. And so I would literally press into that question and wrestle with that concept a little bit. Yeah, and... And Job wasn't the only one to ask why. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, our master, Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken mm-hmm. me? And heaven was silent. Um, and I, I you know, and I, I want to end with a question here in just a minute or kind of spend some time on how do we bring hope out of a passage like this. I think part of the answer is that, that are, are we content that if all God gives us is his presence, if he never gives us the understanding of what's going on, 
if he never even gives us a sense of his presence or a feeling of his presence, but he just gives us his presence, is that enough? And I think that's what faith is when we finally get to that point where we say yes. Mm-hmm. The, the verse I was really drawn to, uh, verse 25, and it, this is a, a revealing verse, what I feared has come upon me, what I dreaded has happened to me. Uh, so Job, here's a man who had all of life together, and I know we didn't read this whole passage, um, and I would encourage the listener to go back and read it and read it out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, verse 25 reveals that even before when life looked good when he had all the kids and all the cattle and all the crops. He was a man of fear. He had this fear that at some point God was going to take it all away. And it's a very human expression here. And so so what do you do when your worst fear comes to pass? And I know that we all have those worst fears. And I imagine for those of us who are parents, they mostly revolve probably around our kids, right. and we don't want to say them out loud. Mm-hmm. But it almost seemed like a bad dream. He had feared something like this for so long, uh, and now it had happened. So in me, there's a little bit of comfort as I read that to go, you know, a lot of us look good on the surface, but underneath we have a lot of anxiety that, that works in our life. And I think Job confesses that here. Um, and, and so, you know, I think we need to get past those days when we come to church and we all just look the good part. Right. And, and mm-hmm. we're not happy. We're not perfect. We have fears. And so I just find that to be a very good confession. If, if I were teaching this class, and it depends on the community group and, and the, uh, the trust that's been built there, but for people to say, what, what makes you anxious? What, for those of us who life is good, what do you fear happening? Speak those aloud. And uh, sometimes those fears take over because we hold them as a secret. Mm. So before I kind of take us into this idea of how do we get hope from this, Dave, Marissa, what, what good nugget do you have here? Come on, wow me. I mean, make, so, me, make me feel like I'm in the in the Top Gun movie again. All right, really, ready? No, no, no. Are you ready for this? I, I don't know if I've got anything that's that good. But um, there's a third perspective here that, that we easily overlook. Anytime we walk through a situation, we have our point of view, our perspective. Certainly when we're walking through difficult circumstances, we, we like to dwell in our perspective. The text says just before this passage that... Job's wife is there. Job's three friends are sitting there in silence, in solitude with him in the middle of this just place of agony. They have a perspective as well, but God has a perspective. Sometimes it's easy for us to focus on what we see or what others are observing in us and telling us how we're getting things wrong, but we forget that there's a third perspective, God's perspective, looking at it and and looking at it from a different angle. And if we can, in the middle of our pain, in the middle of our anxiety, if we can do the Psalm 121 thing, fix our eyes on the mountains from whom our help comes from, we can find maybe greater hope and at least a little bit of hope to walk us through that. Mm-hmm. And I think in the first two chapters of Job, when he's losing his children, when he's losing his wealth and mm-hmm. his prosperity and, and just the unspeakable grief of that, it wasn't until he had the chronic pain and, uh, and the illness inflicted upon his own body that um, he just kind of lost it emotionally. Um, he was able to bear it. He was able to feel God's presence in, in the loss of his family. But, but the boils and the sores, I mean, Satan really speaks a truth in Job 2.4 that, that, you know, when, when you're in pain, though, that's when you curse God. When your life is at risk, that's when you start cursing God. So he resisted that, but it was just, it, it's a very hopeless point to be in when you're faced with 
with a life that will never feel relief from pain. Um, there is a book that I really wanted to recommend if you're experiencing chronic pain, disability, long-term illness. It's called My Body is Not a Prayer Request by Amy mm. Kinney. It's very, very good. And Great I title. recommend it. Yeah. Uh, I recommend it for anybody because it is so hard to empathize with somebody and remember just how uh, debilitating chronic pain is. Um, but the author describes this early hospital stay at the beginning of this chronic illness that she was experiencing and how in the very same hospital that she was in, um, with, with this pain and the questioning and the confusion, she's desperate for answers. Her nephew is being born in that very same hospital. And so it really reminded me of this passage in Job. She says, I downloaded a picture of my nephew on my phone as I waited. His face looked serene. My brother's text brimmed with exclamation points. He's here. I wondered at the joy a hospital can bring in a different department and a different life where being here is where you want to be and not what you dread. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, she goes on to describe her body as a scream. And I just think when you, when your soul is screaming, it's hard to hear God's voice. Uh, when, when you can't feel anything but that pain, you can't feel joy, you can't feel normal. Your every reaction and relationship is clouded and wrapped up in that pain. Um, and that's what Job was experiencing. So just learning how to live with that and how you're going to respond with that through that pain is incredibly difficult and in what Job was dealing with for the rest of this book. So, so how do we... And I finished writing this message earlier today, and I get to the end, and I it's just kind of the sound effect of wah wah, just kind of <laughs> kind of ended. It's it's hard to pull some hope out of this, uh, and, and I'm going to try to land it on hope. But how do we draw hope from a passage like this? And I think we need to see the the entire context of Job. Uh, we read the end of the story, and and it's not so much about the restoration of his family and his possessions. But it's the peace that he finally comes. He comes to a place of peace with God, and part of that was, you know, all of Job three. He's he's talking. He needs to listen, but but before he can do that, he has to have this cathartic experience of sharing his his thoughts. But what what kind of hope? If you were to teach this, what kind of hope would you bring from a passage like this? I would, if I were if I were doing that, if I were teaching, I, I think I'd look at a couple of perspectives. I would certainly say if you know someone who is walking through incredible depth of pain or, or a very difficult situation, it's probably real. You can't discount that. The best thing you can do is be like his friends, at least at this point in the story, sit with them, embrace them, cry with them if warranted, or at least sit in solidarity with them. Give them the ministry of presence because that can speak more volumes than anything else. And there's something incredibly redemptive about that. God ultimately is, gives the ultimate ministry of presence by simply listening to everything that's going on from this point and throughout the entire book. And so there's something helpful about that. I think beyond that, every time there's a why question, every time there's that, that genuine pain that forces us to say, God, what's going on? Why? Press into God anyway, because God wants us to go there. And it almost forces us to be dependent on him. And when we come to that place where we're able to be fully dependent on him, regardless of us understanding the why, we can find greater peace than we've ever known. But there's something about that pressure that, that actually makes us stronger. To quote Downton Abbey wisdom, <laughs> <laughs> um, testing makes us stronger. There's something about that when we walk through difficult circumstances 
that God wants to use that to grow us and develop us in new ways. If any of you teachers use that quote from Downton Abbey, I will come and remove you from your place of service. You can no longer serve here at this church. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, Dave. (laughs) Wisdom can be found anywhere. Marissa, how do we bring hope from this? I think it's really important to define what peace is. Um, Through so much of this chapter, Job is looking for peace, but he equates peace with... um, with a numbing sensation, with a, with relief, with absence, with sedation, um, he sees death as a liberation. That that's what's going to bring him peace. Um, but p- peace that God gives is uh, is redemptive and it's active, and it can exist within pain. I think often we think that um, that absence of pain is is what brings peace, but that's not what life is. So to be able to find that peace within the pain is so, so important. And to just understand, and, and this entire book is is Job realizing that God was right there with him through it all. That uh, one of the things that, that breaks his heart so deeply in these chapters is that he thinks that God isn't with him, that his, that his presence has been removed from Job's life, and that that was something that gave him so much life and so much joy. Um, so just just realizing that the you know as Amy Kinney says that scream of pain that we have that's clouding us from being able to hear God's voice that doesn't mean that God's not there and that He's not trying to get through. So this whole uh, thing, God famously says at the at the end of Job, "Where were you when the universe was created?" And um, I don't see that as a rebuke. It's it's not uh, God being indignant to Job. Um, it's a reminder that, you know, this God's view of the world is so, so much bigger than Job's, um, that it's, it's bigger than he could ever comprehend. And I think God is saying too, I've always been here since very creation. I, I made it, but also my presence was there and my presence was there on the day that you were born, (laughs) that day that you want to erase, that you don't think I was there. Job, you who weren't there. Who are you tell? Who exactly, are you to tell me right? where yeah, I have been? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, my presence has been there. <laughs> it continues to be with you now. It'll continue to be. So, so the hope I draw from this, uh, and I'll quote my great friend, biblical scholar, saint extraordinaire, Winston Churchill. <laughs> he said, "If you're going through hell, keep going." Uh, there, there really is uh, in this passage. There is letting pain become a prayer, and prayer is one of the the greatest weapons were given against anxiety. But also the story's not over here. Job has to keep walking. He has to keep going. If you're going through hell, keep going. Uh, there, there's more to the story. It's, it's not over. It doesn't end here in chapter 3. There's a whole lot of chapters that come after this, not only in the book of Job, but also in our lives. And we don't know how God is going to work events. We don't know how God's going to work in our emotions. We don't know how God's going to work in our story. Uh, and we won't even know that really here fully on this side of life. There's the mystery of eternity because as Job, I mean, we're using his story now 4,000 years later. Jesus, when he cried, my God, my God, why? Well, we see that through resurrection. We now know why. And in our own redemption, God is, is still answering that question why. He does answer the question, but usually not in our time. Mm-hmm. So is there anything else, Dave? Any more Downton Abbey quotes? I'm looking here. Well, I just want to say, before Dave, I'm sorry to interrupt. Winston Churchill, you think he wouldn't have loved Downton Abbey? 
You know, I think he would have been the biggest Downton Abbey fan. <laughs> <laughs> Why dost thou persecute me? I'm just, I'm not doing anything here today. I'm just being nice to everybody. Why are y'all picking on me? He's, he's equal. He's equal yeah, in his probably, picking on. Probably, probably who would, but I think he would have liked uh, Top Gun Maverick better than Downton Abbey. So I do have a Winston Churchill quote in my notes what? as well. Please tell us. What did, what did he say? Don't let a good crisis go to waste. That's right. There but you go. There, but in all honesty, when you're in the middle of, of that level of pressure where you feel that much weight and that much pain on you, it's an opportunity for us to find intimacy with God if we so choose to let it develop that within us. Mm-hmm. That's right. So anxiety is often an obstacle to our happiness, but anxiety is also an opportunity to grow spiritually okay so that's it for us i I will end with the verse that we're going to have for this particular sunday and i'll let it serve as our prayer over us today for the spirit of god god's spirit does not make us timid but gives us power and love and self-discipline and so we are given the spirit of fearlessness as we are filled with the holy spirit so may the lord bless you and keep you May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen. 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 Amen.